I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Cyrano, and joining me after a long hiatus from the pod, she has a man who I would say has a great vocabulary, but maybe she's still waiting for some. <laughs> maybe she's still waiting for some love letters. It's Logan Abbott. Logan, what's going on? Hey, Josh, how you doing? Not much is going on over here. Just you know, in the middle of the pandemic, taking dogs for walks, reading lots of books, watching lots of movies. Yeah, but, so. uh, but no love letters from friend of the pod, Fred, lately. <laughs> no, he um he prefers to uh, profess his love for movies on Letterboxd uh, <laughs> as opposed to uh, writing me some love letters. But uh. I do see him probably, you know, of the 16 hours that were awake, 15 of those hours in a day. Right, so, so. so yeah, his presence is enough and is enough love in your life. You don't need overbearing love letters that uh, like that that is that a Cyrano de Bergerac himself would write. That'd just be a little much, I think. <laughs> I think the the volume of love letters and the volume of writing is, is a little excessive that we'll get into. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some fun revelations about that in the movie. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Cyrano is the uh, is the newest film from director Joe Wright, who a lot of you might know from, you know, doing things like uh, Anna Karenina, Darkest Hour, Pride and Prejudice, uh, things of that nature, Atonement, which is an awesome movie. Uh, it has a screenplay by Erica Schmidt that's based off of her 2018 stage musical of the same name, but that is based on the 1897 play Cyrano de Bergerac, which tells the story of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, who is a great duelist and, uh, you know, a, a gifted poet who, you know, fights in the French military, but is, uh, you know, is just a very charming fellow all around. Uh, but in the play version, Cyrano has an obnoxiously large nose that causes him to doubt himself. It prevents him from expressing his love for uh, his distant cousin, Roxanne. Uh, Roxanne is happens to be in love with uh, Christian de Nivellit. Uh Did I get that right, Logan? Do you know how to spell, pronounce Christian's last name? Um, Sorry to put you on the spot. I don't blame ah, you. If you don't. I didn't have it open. Um, I don't know how good your French is. Nuviet. Nuviet. Yeah, there's no Al. It's a yeah. He's going to be Christian Nuviet. the rest of the. He's going to be Christian yeah, the rest Christian of the podcast. So I don't fuck it up. But I, I want to. I want to at least say it right once. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Roxanne professes her love for Christian the Nuviet, a new cadet in Cyrano's regiment of shoulders. Uh, Christian, uh, you know, is struck by her beauty too, but is unable to express his love back. Cyrano offers to help him do so. Gives Cyrano a way to like you know uh, express his love without you know fear of rejection and makes a line that like you know uh, I think I'll, I'll, I don't know if it's like I make you romantic and you'll make me handsome or something like that. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he might have his own uh, his own ulterior motive obviously, given uh, his love for Roxanne. In Joe Wright's movie, uh, rather than having a large nose, uh, Cyrano is a little person played by Peter Dinklage, who obviously most people know as Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, but he played Cyrano in that 2018 stage adaptation. And uh, the aforementioned Erica Schmidt, the writer of this movie, also happens to be uh, Peter Dinklage's wife. And uh, Roxanne is played by Haley Bennett, who happens to be Joe Wright's husband, who and she also starred in that stage adaptation. 
Uh, in the movie, she's actually being uh, courted by a, a Duke de Gouche, played by Ben Mendelsohn, uh, though she does not reciprocate uh, uh, the Duke's feelings. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of there throughout trying to, you know, uh, just be overbearing and, uh, you know, pressure her into a marriage. Christian, funnily enough, is played by uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr., who is a, a young actor I really like, who I want to talk about a little bit in later on. But He's American. So is Peter Dinklage. So is Haley Bennett. So it's kind of funny, Logan, to see like three American actors infiltrating a European costume drama because usually it's the other way around. Those Brits are just like kind of infiltrating all the American roles. So uh, just a very interesting cast for this movie. Uh, I should note, it's a musical. Uh, you know, the, uh, that, that's, that's one of the biggest things about this because, you know, the original play, it's, it's just a play. It's not a musical. And this is kind of one of the unique choices uh, about how this movie came about. Uh, Logan, sometimes people uh, put in requests to talk about movies with me, you know, months, even years in advance, which is the case with the Batman, which I'm going to be, which I'm going to be talking about next week with uh, my friend, Nick, who's been talking about a lot of the eighties and nineties Batman movies with me on the pod in the last month in the run up to the Batman, which, you know, will have been out for a couple of weeks, probably when people listen to this, but you know, is about to come out as of the recording. People are actually in that first screening of it right now. We're on that Tuesday night opening, but regardless point being, you know, sometimes I hear from people well in advance, Hey, I'm really excited about this movie. I want to talk about it. Other times people just like see a movie and they're very struck by it. And they say, I want to talk about this. And, uh, you're always welcome here. Whenever you happen to hear about a movie, we just hadn't talked to you in a while, but you like immediately reach out after getting out of this movie and saying, do you have anyone to talk about this? I need to talk about Cyrano, which is, is, was just kind of random to me because the movie has just had its very, a very, very weird, like promotional cycle release cycle. Peter Dinklage is being talked about as a possible Oscar nominee, like three to four months ago. And then they just decided to release this movie like three weeks before the Oscars, like before anyone really had a chance to see it before it could gain any buzz. So I just kind of written it off. I was like, that movie might not be any good. No one's really like, I mean, I guess they said he's good, but maybe the movie's not good because they spent $30 million to make this in, in Sicily in pre-COVID vaccine times, like in fall of 2020, like if you're going to put that amount of resource behind something like, and not try and get it to win awards when it's a costume drama, like you probably don't think it's good, but like, we'll get into it. I think, uh, I don't actually know if you think it's good. I just know you're really excited to talk about it, but like, <laughs> I, I, I actually think it was like pretty good. So it's perplexing that they hit it that way. So it was just a movie that was very far off my radar. All of a sudden I hear from you and that you want to talk about it. And you fell into those category of people that like just saw a movie and needed to talk about it. So I guess I'm going to first start by asking you, even before I ask for your critical review, what was the thing about this movie that just struck you such that you really felt the need to actually talk about it and get on the record and express your thoughts about it? What like what, what was like the big thing that really stuck with you once you left the theater? Well, there are a couple of things about this movie that I really like and that I also really don't like, but oh. I have been waiting for this movie to come out since we first saw the previews for it back in like probably mid to late 2021 when they first started releasing yeah. them I think it was actually supposed to be released sometime in November and then suddenly the previews were saying it was going to come out in December and then January and then finally I started seeing <laughs> advertisements on Facebook and TikTok for it being released uh the third weekend of February um and so I have been waiting for this to come out <laughs> I actually didn't realize from the previews that it was actually a musical i couldn't really tell from the music that they were playing because <laughs> yeah, sometimes movies just have music in the trailers and it's like whatever yeah yeah and, and i'm sure we'll get into it later but the way that a lot of these singers are approaching the music is they're singing in a very like pop aspect and so i couldn't really tell whether that was actually music from the musical <laughs> or if it was just some sort of pop song that was written for the preview itself but uh, in general, I am a big, I'm a big fan of musicals. Um, I did a lot of musical theater when I was in high school for a while. I thought that I wanted to, to do Broadway acting. 
I was very disillusioned with that very quickly after auditioning for a few shows, but mm-hmm. I've never lost my love of, of musicals, movie musicals, Broadway, etc. But I'm also a really big fan of unique and diverse casting, which this movie absolutely has. And I was a French major in college and I also took French a lot in high school. And so I was like, this is a lot of stuff that I, I know a, a good amount about. Um, I really had a lot of strong opinions about the movie. And so as soon as we finished, I was like, this is something that I could absolutely talk with Josh about on the pod. And so that's why I had to reach out. Okay. So yeah, it just hit a lot of sweet spots for you. I didn't know you were like a closet theater person. It was just something I'd never talked to you about. I wish I'd known that. We had, there was actually like a lot of like musical and theater adaptations last year. And this is like actually pretty unique in its own way from like a lot of the things we saw last year, whether it be like, you know, I don't know, Dear Evan Hansen in the Heights. I think I'm forgetting another one. There was, there was like a West lot Side of story. Right. Dull, dull. How did I forget that? That was like <laughs> top 10 movies of last year. Uh, so yeah, this is just like a very uh, unique like addition to that group of stage to screen adaptations in that, uh, again, it wasn't actually conceived of as a musical. Uh, so uh, very unique in its own right. So I know you said you actually had mixed opinions, but you just had a lot of opinions. So I guess the first thing I'll ask you was, and you can answer this however you want. Did you ultimately have to, if you have at the end of the day, did you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? And for one reason or another, what's the biggest reason why? I gave it a thumbs up. So there were some things about the movie and the staging specifically and, and the style of music that the singers and the composer chose that were a little bit awkward and a little bit mm. cringy for me, but right, let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about the good stuff first. Then. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get in all the bad the stuff. stuff. So what, what, what did you, what did you really like about this movie? I love the diverse casting. So mm. my, my favorite thing that I'm seeing in modern media is when new directors, authors, playwrights, um, screenwriters approach a subject that can traditionally be very stuffy Um, and very classic from a new perspective, especially when it comes to diverse casting. So, I mean, we really saw it start with Hamilton a few years ago. And since then, we've seen a lot of diverse casted, you know, classical set pieces come to the screen. So the thing that immediately comes to my mind is Bridgerton, Mm -hmm. um, where it's set in this really classical era, but there is such a diverse casting, which, you know, a lot of history buffs would say that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have that much of a diverse group of people in that society. And to that respect, in this situation, when this oh. play was written, all of these people would have been white. Yeah. Have you Every watched the have, 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 you, have you watched The Great on Hulu? I have not watched The Great, but I've heard okay. that it's it's somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. have a, a long list of things to watch. Yeah, as as most do. I'm pretty sure uh, you and Fred would dig it, but uh, continue. It, it, it's similar in that regard, though. Yeah. So I think the idea. I mean. The ultimate idea of of Cyrano de Bergerac, the original play, is that this person is so ugly and unattractive because he has such a massive nose that there is absolutely no way that this beauty, this amazing woman, Roxanne, could ever love him, even though they are clearly two parts of the same soul. They communicate the same way they've known each other for their entire lives. So I liked the idea of casting Peter Dinklage, who is a little person who has something else that people would consider to be not traditionally attractive instead of that artificial massive nose idea. It makes it such a more compelling story and it gives more screen time to such a diverse range of audience. And since you're already going against the grain of the original story of Sarah de Bergerac with that casting, why not cast a more diverse group of people? So I really enjoyed seeing Kelvin Harrison Jr. and what he did with the role. I really enjoyed seeing um, Bashir Saludin. I, I don't know if I pronounce. 
Sorry. I think you did a pretty solid job there. I did. You did a pretty solid job. <laughs> just, 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 just own it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I I thought that the casting was great, and so that really pulled me in. And while we'll get into the, what I the specific qualms I had with the music, ultimately I really enjoyed a lot of the pieces so, that so, they so, had in here. So if you can separate the singing from it, it sounds like you really liked a lot of the performances, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought the performances were great. Haley Bennett was was fantastic. Peter Dinklage was amazing. And I really, really, really enjoyed Ben Mendelsohn as De Guiche. And I really liked, and it's Guiche, as in quiche, um, as a side note. <laughs> I, I, I think I called him Goosh. You did call him Goosh. I thought the casting was spot on. And I thought the acting was fantastic, especially in the very first scene, that opening number, where suddenly Cyrano appears and they have this like pseudo rap battle on oh, yeah, stage yeah. that leads into a sword fight. I thought that the the stage work that was done, the acting, the sword play was really, really fun. And I love watching Haley Bennett's reactions throughout the entirety of the scene. It was great. Yeah. Again, you didn't tip your hand too much when you told me you wanted to talk about it. So I, I, I it didn't really affect my expectations too much. For all I know, it could have just been a bomb and you had a lot of opinions about how bad it was. So I, I came in with fairly like, tempered expectations given all the uh weird weirdness about its release and its lack of an oscar campaign that i talked about because on top of all that stuff i'm not i'm not a musical guy really you know again i west side story broke into my top 10 movies of last year but i'm just i'm not a music guy and i'm not a musical guy uh like i i would say like i'm not a sung through musical guy not this is not that this is completely sung through uh even though like uh, to a, a large part of it is like I like movies about me. I like movies about music more than I like musicals. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like Stars Born is like my fa- second favorite movie of 2018, or Sing Street was like my second favorite movie of 2016. Like I just I, I I'm I'm more those are more my speed when it comes to musicals than something like this. So I was kind of like just afraid that that was going to be a, more of a barrier to entry for me. And we can talk a little bit about the national. I'm not the best person to do that, uh, just because again I'm not a big music guy. Uh, my my really first exposure to them was when they started collaborating with Taylor Swift. Uh, but you know, I think that gave it a different, I think that gave it a different feel. And I, so even if I can't maybe talk as in depth about that as some music critics can, I think I found the movie like more accessible, uh, from the musical aspect of it than I expected it to. And part of that was that first rap battle, like you just touched on. I was like, I just was caught off guard by it. I did not see that coming. I didn't, I just kind of, again, I thought it was going to be more traditional musical. So when that first like happened, I was like, oh my God, I'm like actually taking in all of these lyrics and I'm getting a real kick out of it. Like that was an incredibly pleasant surprise to me. And I like that, but like, I even like, not that like I can really like, uh, I don't know, recite a lot of the specifics of a lot of the other songs back to you. But uh, again, I I can't disagree with anything you said about the quality of the performances. But I think the biggest thing that worked for me was that like, I just thoroughly enjoyed the music. And some of my Mm -hmm. issues, my my more, I don't have a ton of big criticisms about it. But like, I thought the plotting and the storytelling got a little kind of slow in the second half when they actually went Mm -hmm. off to the war. But that was when a lot of the really interesting musical choices really kicked in. And I don't even necessarily call it anachronistic because I mean, who's to say you couldn't put together some interesting sounds in that time. And I don't know the national that well to know just like how, how 2021, all of their sounds are, they've been around for a while, but like, it just, there was a lot of different interesting songs uh, that kind of came in uh, towards like, towards towards it in and i mean i think the one of the bigger show-stopping numbers that i think people are talking about as i've kind of consumed some more of the criticism in the last 24 hours since i saw it is wherever i fall which uh mm-hmm. is a song that comes towards the end uh when they're kind of dealing with this stuff where the uh where both cyrano and christian have gotten sent off to war and in advance of one of those battles and it's like 
I was kind of getting a little lost in like how slow that part of the movie got. And that kind of like brought me back in. So I was just kind of entertained by a lot of the music up to that point. And then I feel like the music almost took flight to another level at that point in the movie where it almost started to lose me a little bit story and plot wise with how it was, how this, the clip at which it was moving, it felt like it was slowing down a little too much for how everything else had gone to that point. So that is kind of like the biggest reason why I think it ultimately worked for me on top of like all the charming performances and dialogue. So I guess I mean, if you have if you have any thoughts you want to add on to that, feel free to do so. But I'm kind of curious what you ultimately thought about, I mean, kind of just this story and how it got, you know, how it gets gets off the ground with respect to the whole love triangle aspect of it and how they pulled it off. Yeah. So um, just one comment that I wanted to make specific about the rap bottle. I absolutely want to touch on wherever I fall, but I think we do that Mm -hmm. a little bit later. The interesting thing, because I had never read the actual place here in a diversion back, I had heard of it. I should say I haven't either. Um, We're both coming into this yeah. blind, but like <laughs> I, 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 I actually think that's important because, you know, I, as I told Logan before we started recording, I don't think an adaptation can be considered a success if it if, if it like is counting on the audience to like know the source material. But the rap battle specifically, what's interesting in a lot of older French plays, specifically plays by like Moliere they were written in rhyme they're written in couplets and so each line rhymed with the one that was after it and a lot of playwrights when they a lot of translations of those more those older more traditional french plays will attempt to keep that rhyming structure Hmm. in the play when they translate it and so because i never read Cyrano de Bergerac i was and it started off with that rap battle i was like did they manage to translate this play and put the entire thing into rhyme because it was it fit so well with what I knew about French plays and and how they were translated and so it was really cool I was a little disappointed to see that it didn't translate into the rest of the movie and that it was it was more plain spoken English but it was really cool to see in the opening line um that specific time well it would have been cool yeah it would have been cool if they I I feel like yeah, there's a lot of other musical numbers. It would have been cool if they like dropped one more of those in there. That would have been really fun. You mentioned earlier, like uh, Roxanne or Haley Bennett's reactions to what Cyrano is doing in that scene, where he ultimately gets in the rap battle that ends in its own ends in its own duel. And I thought like that acting was actually pretty important because we're led to believe that like they've been friends since childhood. One thing I thought was a little odd, and uh, with respect to like how the you know the love triangle part of the story gets put into motion, is uh, we're told they've been friends for a while. But and I know it has something to do with just like his appearance in like her family and how they want her to, uh, they're, they're, she's having some financial trouble. She's an orphan. She might need to marry for money. So her, I think, is it, is it her aunt? I don't think, I think it might be her aunt, not her mom. Um, I sure. think it's just her. I'm not sure if it's her aunt. She's definitely is fulfilling the role of like a handmaiden. It's definitely not her mom. That right, is so working with her. Okay, it, it, it's it, on the it's Wikipedia. her attendant. She yeah, is, I was gonna Monica say Monica Dolan is Murray Roxanne's attendant. Yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia now, and it's Wikipedia, so you know it's true. Uh, attendant. Regardless, uh, she's very concerned for. Uh, she's very concerned. I think it's more just like you know, what could that do to her status? She she's she seen hanging out with the little person Cyrano, you know. But like at the same time, it, it, that kind of implies that like they haven't had a lot of contact together. Uh, if like that's something that she's having to be concerned about, even if they kind of go way back. So like, yeah, in some ways, like they obviously have great chemistry and, uh, and banter and all that, but, uh, you know, that, that without that opening scene where you see how charmed she is by just watching him on stage, uh, that first conversation is just like doing a lot of work and we're supposed to kind of like, we're kind of left our own imagination as to like how close they've actually been over the years. But like, you know, that does say a lot that she's able to like, you know, seem that charmed by him without actually directly talking to him. Uh, and that, that kind of like, you know, gives you more of a foundation for the relationship before, uh, he actually kind of like goes in on his little scheme with Christian. Uh, what did you think about, I guess uh i don't know peter dinklage and Haley uh bennett's uh you know chemistry 
I thought they had great chemistry on screen. Um, the interesting thing about the the play itself, this idea that you know somebody who is unattractive but has an amazing heart is in you just need to look past the fact that they're unattractive and they're the most amazing thing in the world. It kind of, if you were to transport that into the modern context, gives me the wrong vibe because it's like right. that that thing where it's like, oh, the nice guys are the ones that get looked over. Um, and so it's interesting to see it in a romantic context in this play um, and the way that because of the way that it is presented and how, you know, Cyrano is coming from such a great place, wanting her to be happy, um, that he's willing to put himself to the side in order to help ultimately Roxanne be happy, not necessarily Christian. It made it a little bit better. There were some weird things at the end. Um, specifically yeah, I want to talk about that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, I, I, I want to talk about Cyrano's final choice, but we can get to that but I, i'm glad you kind of zeroed in on that because that was one thing that kind of like both this thing with cyrano at the end but also like that earlier the, the earlier portion of the movie where cyrano is like doubting himself i mean he phrases it as like him thinking he is not worthy whereas the, the bashir salahuddin character uh labrette uh, we're, we're gonna call him labrette we might call some other people by the uh uh not their full name but his full name is easy enough i just don't if i stay away from the actor uh but you know he's basically saying oh no she is good enough that she can look past your looks as if like there'd be something wrong if she didn't want to you know like mm -hmm. it kind of like is it discounting the fact that there probably should be some attraction there you know even if like yeah all the more power to someone if they uh if they if they if they find love with someone that is not you know attractive in the conventional sense but like i don't it, it, on, on certain level it's like the movie's almost implying that like there's a character flaw if you if you like won't get with someone in spite of a lack of attraction and i was wondering if like how close the movie was bordering onto taking that stance and but on top of that like i think it is interesting that it makes that choice with Cyrano that you talked about where i don't know exactly what his aim ultimately is like i if you read some about this movie uh and I, I mean, I guess there's probably differences through a lot of the different adaptations. There have been modern adaptations of it too. Is it purely just that like he wants a channel to express his love without fear of rejection? Or in theory, does he think there's some other way that like, you know, Christian's going to fall on his face and then he can just kind of like, you know, walk waltz in there and just like be, save the day? I don't know. Because the point that you made is interesting, Logan, in that like, yeah, there's a bit of a problem if a nice guy feels entitled. Uh, he shouldn't be like, you know, you're not a nice guy at that point. And uh, but there's the, also the idea of just like not that not that it's a term that was around in the 1600s when this was set, <laughs> but like the the idea of the friend zone. And sometimes people like I think sometimes people like say like say that like it's a bad thing. And uh, I think it's 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 a bad thing depending on how it's used. You know, if you think you, yeah. you're in the friend zone, if, if you talk about the like someone friend zoning you as like a uh, as like a, a thing that someone a way by which someone wronged you, what regardless of which which gender we're talking about in which position, like that's that's not a that's not that's not a character flaw if someone does that. That's just how someone feels. But if you talk about it like a character flaw, then like yes, you're in the wrong if you use the friend zone in that way. And here it's like, uh, you know, is if 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 Cyrano just plans to like you know keep his feelings buried forever then like he's not i don't know if he's necessarily doing anything wrong in that sense you know you can debate whether or not he should be like uh helping trick her into love with someone else uh but i'm not i was never 100 percent sure exactly where the movie fell on that did you feel like the movie was trying to say that like uh roxanne just like should have done that just because because cyrano's just that great or did you think there was a little more nuance to it i definitely think I think there was more nuance to it. Part of the difficulty, especially, and this is where it's a double-edged sword, where instead of casting somebody who has a massive prosthetic nose, you are casting somebody who looks different than than traditional actors. You're you're casting Peter Dinklage. And so the idea that, you know, that line where LeBright says, 
you know, if she can't look past you, then that's look past your deformity. She can't look past how you look. Then that is a knock against her. Mm -hmm. That was written with the idea that the actor just has a massive nose, not that Mm -hmm. um, he's a little person. And so that's part of the, it, it, takes on a different context when you change the thing that makes the actor look different. But I will say Peter Dinklage did a really amazing job with keeping Cyrano genuine because he was never intending to actually tell Roxanne her feelings until LeBray convinced him that clearly that's what's happening. Just by the fact that Cyrano is telling LeBray about his feelings for Roxanne and then suddenly her attendant shows up asking to speak with her privately. And we know that she's asking to speak with him privately, not because she has feelings for him, but because she's walking this thin line with a count who already doesn't like him, they can't be seen together in public. And she's also asking him to do something for her that would not be seen as acceptable in society. And we should note that and, like pre like 1950, like just being in the be a man being alone in a room with a woman, like, you know, that just had a lot of oh, implications. Sex clearly happened. Oh, absolutely. It's like it doesn't. We're not even saying sex happened, happened, but just like people, things. people are going to assume that something like that did happen if you're ever in a room with a woman alone. That's not your wife. Exactly, and so I think Cyrano or, or Peter Dinklage as Cyrano in that scene where you know she's saying that she has a confession and they're both clearly mm. communicating on different levels, and he's so like, I have a confession too, and it was very uncomfortable to sit through, but because it's because the audience had more information than the yeah. actor than the characters and it was a good uncomfortable to sit through to see how it was going to play out sure. and when Cyrano agrees to protect Christian with his life to make sure that he doesn't go through the traditional terrible initiation ritual rituals that a lot of soldiers go through and when he agrees to have Christian write to Roxanne it's because he knows how much he loves Roxanne and he knew how unlikely it was that she could give those feelings back to him. And when he agreed that he was going to have Christian right, he had no idea that Christian was terrible with words. And so when he went- That's a good point. That's a good point. He had absolutely no idea. He never met this guy before. And so he's like, okay, if this is what's going to make her happy, this person that I've known since I was a child, this person I've been in love with for years, I'm willing to set aside my feelings. And that's where the difference comes in between how modern nice guys might take this as a friend zone story and what actually happens where he's willing to put his feelings aside in order to make sure that Roxanne is happy. And then it morphs into something different when he finally meets Christian and realizes <laughs> that what Roxanne wants, and that's actually what I want to get into. Or he eavesdrops on Christian's advice. first conversation with her. Yeah. All right, well, that and just when he's talking, and Christian has no idea how to word anything that he's trying right, to right. tell. When he's talking about how much he, Roxanne loves him and he's trying, and Christian is trying to say back how much he loves Roxanne and it's not even close to the same level. Cyrano realizes that in order for Roxanne to be happy and she has her sights set on Christian, she will never be happy with him the way that he is. And suddenly he can fix that. He can fix that for her. And it also means that he now has an avenue to express all of these feelings that he's had for Roxanne, but it's not something that he originally came up with. It's not something that he, that she ever asked him to do. It's not something that he would have done if Christian had not had that terrible writing impediment, that terrible impediment of expressing himself. And I think that's really what the difference is. Yeah. God, what was the, what was the word he kept messing up? Um, oh man. Oh God. There was was a couple times. No, yeah, there was a few. Shoot. I, I just pulled up the script. I was trying to see, but like, I, I want to say like, I guess we can talk more about the performances too, but like, I mean, I, and I actually want to ask you more specifically about Christian because I was wondering like, 
uh, one, first of all, I think Kelvin Harrison Jr. was great. I, I, I think he like did a great job of making him like, you know, obviously seem a little more, uh, uh, a little slower, a little dimmer than, uh, than, uh, than Cyrano, but not like a total dummy. Uh, just you know, like you said, just like had some, had some trouble with words, and there's no shame in not being as eloquent and as articulate as oh, that was the, I think inarticulate was one of the words that he couldn't think I of. Think it was. Was, yeah, and so that that was what I was thinking of. But like at the same time, I I did keep wondering. Like there are two things about him I was wondering, and again, I really love the performance. Was uh one should it should it have been like more apparent at some point uh that he like that he was catching on at some point uh, to like Cyrano's true feelings because he doesn't explicitly state it until the end. And I'm wondering like, would it have been like, could it have actually helped if like there had been like, I don't know, a moment of suspicion on his part at some point before then he says at the end, when he kind of like figures it out, like, Oh, I always suspected, but like, I didn't want to believe it, which might be true, but I wonder if it would have like, you know, put a little more tension into the movie. If it was like, he was actually catching on. I don't know if you had a thought about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when that line came out at the end of the movie where Mm -hmm. he was like, I had my suspicions, but I didn't want to believe it. I was like, you, you watched Cyrano when you were attempting to speak to Roxanne and royally failing outside of her balcony. And you watched Cyrano take over for you and speak from his voice and sing to her in the way that she wanted to be sung to. And you saw the, I mean, the audience saw the love in Cyrano's eyes and the fact that he was finally getting to play out this love that he has for Roxanne, knowing that she was thinking it was coming from Christian, but he just had to say it. You're telling me that Christian was so blind and so dumb that he didn't also see the same thing? Yeah, I felt like there should, I felt like there should. big suspension of disbelief. Yeah, even if, yeah, even if there was just like a shot of his face, like looking a little incredulous or something like that. I think that's the thing. There was. Oh. Right at the very end, right when Roxanne says, kiss me, or yeah. he, he, she's like, she was like, what do you want to do next? What do you want to say next? And all of a sudden Christian goes, kiss me, right. give yeah. me a kiss. And yeah. Um, and, and then Cyrano and like, actually, like, what yeah. are you doing? Don't do that. And, mm-hmm. or she says to kiss, to kiss me. And then it'd be figured it out. And then he starts going in. And then there's this line that Christian says where, um, or Peter Dinklage cuts him off and is like, oh, well, you know, it would be nice metaphorically to have a kiss, whatever. And she's like, or you could, you could actually yeah, come yeah. up here and visit, but kiss me. Yeah, and he, said, he said, I meant, goes, I meant, he said, I meant metaphorically. Is a kiss a vow, a promise, a confession? Exactly. Is it a secret, a moan of eternity? He just like starts bullshitting about that to waste time. Yeah, because he's like, oh my God, if you go, if Christian goes up there and has to say anything again, he's going to ruin this whole thing. And then Roxanne says, no, I really do want you to come up here and kiss me. And Peter and, and Cyrano goes, dude, you got to go. And he goes, I don't know after all, he says, after all of that, I don't know if I should. Right, right. And I took that line to be in reference to after everything that Peter Dinklage, that Cyrano just did for him. After that clear profession of love, he doesn't know if he should go up there and kiss Roxanne. And if they really did mean to play that as, oh, well, after you just said it should be metaphorically, I don't know if I should go up there and kiss her. That's not how I read it. And, and to play it that way, seems like it's a disservice to christian's character no i think i think that's a good point like th- that there was a moment to like make him a little more because he's, he's not really that suspicious between that point and then the revelation towards the end uh of when he claims he knew he might have known uh so like there could have been like another hint there instead i think he was just like more confused but you're right there was a moment where like in that moment right there where he could have like you know i'd i'd cyrano a little differently if nothing else and instead because cyrano like tells him to go for the kiss i think he just kind of shrugs it off uh, and then we yeah. never really, you never, we never really hear that again through the end. The other point I was going to say about Christian is that I, a few of the things I read about other adaptations made it seem like, you know, maybe one thing to the credit of the movie was that maybe in other adaptations, 
he, he was written as like a little bit more of a heel or a little bit more of someone that like you would uh, make such that he was not as likable and that you would be like more definitively on Cyrano's side, wanting it to work out for Cyrano. And some people credited this movie for like, you know, making him more likable than that. But I'm wondering, uh, would you have maybe wanted like another scene where he like, in spite of his inarticulateness, oh, fuck, what, what's the word there? It's in spite of him being inarticulate. Would you want another scene where in spite of him being inarticulate, he might've still charmed Roxanne anyway. Instead, he's just like kind of like really attractive and like, comes in for a kiss at the right time and we don't see a lot else because that was one thing i thought where it's like i i thought the movie actually could have benefited from like if they like made you feel even a little more torn and like kind of implied like hey there's some other redeeming qualities to this guy besides the fact that he like he's just objectively a nice person and he's like an objectively attractive person like a couple moments where like they had more dialogue where like she actually like responded well to him even if it wasn't quite on the level of the chemistry she had with cyrano do, do you agree with that or do you or, or do you have another thought on that idea I don't, well, I mean, part of the difficulty is that we're, they're working with a script that's a couple hundred years old or, or 150 something years old. And so they, they clearly didn't divulge or. Well, she, she, she is adapting her own 2018. It. She's adapting her 2018 play. So like, I'm assuming some other liberties have been taken. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, I don't think that that scene would have worked. I think that the scene that fulfills that desire at least for me in this movie is the scene right after wherever i fall where mm. um where christian discovers and this is the other thing that was a suspension of disbelief thing for me christian didn't know how many letters you know is writing to roxanne mm. like you're telling me they had been together on the battlefield for however long and roxanne talks about how many hundreds of potentially letters she's received to the like just in general granted christian wasn't around but it's clear how many letters are being written it's, it's very clear on, on Roxanne's side how many she's receiving and how in love she is with him as a result that suddenly they're on the battlefield and Christian never realized how many letters Cyrano was writing to Roxanne and that's what tips him off and so I think where we get that big reveal and and that big cathartic moment of Christian really is a great person and probably could have been a really amazing husband to Roxanne is that moment where he says you love her and she's not in love with me. She's in love with the image of me, but she's in love with what you have been writing her. And it's not my job or your job to make the decision for her about who she loves. It has to, you know, she has to have the choice. It has to be hers. And he's like, and he goes into the fact he's not as articulate and, and as he could be, and he's trying, but it's never going to be his strong suit. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what he feels and it doesn't matter what Cyrano feels. It has to be Roxanne's choice what happens next. And I think that is really what serves as that cathartic moment of he could have been a really amazing husband to Roxanne had, you know, the end of the, the movie not played out the way that it did. And I'll cut it off there. Because well, I guess, we're, I, guess we're kind of in I guess we're kind of in spoiler territory. I don't know how you spoil a 120-year-old story, but I, know. Uh, I, I, I can still kind of note it in the description or whatever. So I guess I'll... Uh, I, I guess I'll just ask then. So after we kind of come to that realization and kind of see that, like, I don't know, it just, it just all of a sudden came to me that like, where Christian's not even like that mad at him. He's just like, no, this, like, that, that was one of the interesting things I thought. I don't know how, again, I don't know how it goes in the other adaptations, but I thought that was like, kind of an interesting development there where he does have that revelation, but he's not even mad at Cyrano because like to Cyrano's credit, he never actually really made a move on her while, uh, yeah. while she was alive, aside from like the, the, the actual like whispering scene uh, where like he just kind of like, you know, couldn't control himself. Uh, but I, I, you know, once I had that moment, I was like, oh, that's nice. Like Christian's not actually like that mad. He's like, look, I, 
you're, she's obviously in love with you. I just kind of like knew he was going to die. And I didn't even know the story. I don't even know if you knew that part of the story oh, anecdotally. I knew as soon as that happened, mm-hmm. as soon as they came to that realization, there was no way both of them are coming back from the war. Right. I was the just like, the issue just, that I had yeah. was that he makes a big deal about how when they both get back, it has to be Roxanne's choice. When they both get back, they have to let her know. They have to tell her. And then he just runs ahead of the entire army as though he truly wants to die directly into the guns of the of the other army that they're going against. He doesn't like, like, like a, total idiot. <laughs> a total idiot. He doesn't form up in line. He and Cyrano don't work together. It's like they have this really amazing moment where, yes, they're frustrated. Yes, they're realizing that what they Christian's realizing that what he thought was happening is very different from what is actually happening, but he's still willing to work with Cyrano and still willing to be his friend. And then just goes and arbitrarily sacrifices himself Hmm. on the battlefield for no, for seemingly no reason, because the battle hadn't even started yet. I had a big problem with that. (laughs) Because plot. Um, No, but yeah, like, I mean, they could have just like, he could have just died in a regular battle without running around like an idiot. Um, yeah, exactly. It could like, have been oh, a really I'm... cathartic moment, and instead he just kind of sacrifices himself for the sake of fun. Yeah, because I, I did not know where the story was going to go, and I, I was just like, oh, it's like a lot more like interesting story-wise of like Cyrano is like left with like what he's going to do if like he doesn't have Christian there to like, you know, actually like kind of like force him to tell the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I kind of knew it was coming, but you're right. It, it, it just did it in such a goofy way. Um, yeah. I guess I guess the next the way I want to talk about the rest of this I I, I guess I'll kind of ask you about the end and then we can like work our way backwards and talk a little bit more about the music um I, I I'm more so the end of the plot uh where you know Cyrano also suffers some injuries in battle and uh he he never really fully heals from them so he's just kind of we jump three years later and it's kind of disimplied he's just been slowly dying from those wounds ever since though he is still visiting uh still visiting Roxanne who has like joined the convent I guess though she looks like less mm-hmm. like a nun than some of the other uh people she's around who apparently have some running jokes with him whenever he shows up at some point he when I guess he's very close to death he decides he's gonna like ask her to read uh to read Christian's last letter to him and then when when, he, when she actually pulls it out he just recites it to her you know in effect like uh revealing the fact that he was the one writing them all along that he had he already knows this thing by memory and then this like she kind of like figures it all out and uh realizes he he loves her and then she's like oh my god i love him too and then he dies and i'm wondering i think i'm wondering how you thought the movie wanted us to feel about that and how you actually felt about that because i thought the movie kind of wanted us to feel like oh my god this is so romantic and so tragic and i was wondering like i had the thought like is it actually kind of messed up that he did this and that like could i mean yeah maybe it would have pained him to do it but he could have taken that to the grave and instead he like kind of sets her up for heartbreak one last time by like waiting until he died to do it whereas like hell if he had just done it when he was two years away from death as opposed to like two minutes away from death uh maybe she can make up her own mind and then like decide to like you know uh shut him out of her life such that that would be obviously be very hard on him and that's where the selfishness potential selfishness of this decision uh lies or she could decide oh i love him too and they could live happily ever after until his death and instead he just decides to unburden himself on death's doorstep such that like she kind of has to like suffer like heartbreak all of a sudden again as soon as she thinks she like realizes she might have had love uh how did you read those final moments because i was like kind of conflicted about it because i thought the movie kind of wanted me to find it romantic and i wasn't sure i felt that way I wasn't a big fan of it. So something, and, and this is what Fred and I discussed right after the mm-hmm. movie, because he remembers how the, the Gerard Depardieu, the 1990s mm-hmm. version ends. And apparently in that version, it's not an old war wound that kills him. He's apparently just walking underneath, like near a construction site and like a massive board falls on him 
And it's a result of that injury that causes him to then go to Roxanne and reveal to her that he was the one that was writing the letters all along because suddenly he has no more time left, which he didn't expect to have, which he didn't expect to have. So there's a a distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in that situation, that's a much more reasonable reason for lack of a better word to have waited three years because he just couldn't figure out how to tell her. He couldn't figure out that the the man that she's been mourning for years was not in fact the man that she was in love with. And also, how do you how do you then present that without the other party present to say, I was fine with this, I went along with it too. Suddenly Sereno is the only bad guy available for her to blame. So I get why he waited. I don't like the choice that he died of an old war wound because then it really makes it seem like it was really heartless of him to wait until right before he died to essentially take away the love of her life for a second time. Or, or, or take away both loves of her life in one fell swoop because she was kind of, you know, living in blissful ignorance by thinking up until that point that Christian had been like her true love. Yeah, and we don't, and this is the other thing, and I want to take a step back to talk a little bit about Roxanne yeah. before getting into this because I feel like the, the movie centers around her, but we haven't really spoken about her yet. True, um, true. Some people, Fred has Fred made a comment that you know she was so vain and she wasn't that much of a likable character. And you know, even the characters in in the movie, you know, Dagish and Cyrano and Christian make jokes about how, how vain of a woman she is. But I really respect um, Haley Bennett's portrayal of her because at the core of it, this is a woman who is very well educated and who came from money and as a result is very well educated who clearly has read a lot of romantic novels, which is the expectation of women at that time, and who has decided she's not going to settle for a a marriage of convenience, a marriage for money, which is the expectation for her. She could very easily marry Dikish, who is not in love with her, but pines after her, who wants her to give her a comfortable life. But she decides that she would rather brave a life of misfortune and a life of poverty to be with somebody of the same intellectual level as her, especially of the same emotional intelligence level as her. Cause that's really what she's going for. She knows how passionate she, how, how passionately she wants to be loved and how passionately she wants to love in return, which is not a common thing for people at that time. And she's not willing to settle for anything less. And Cyrano knows this mm-hmm. because he knows her. And so that's why he knows that they would be a good fit, but he's just not confident enough to present that as an option to her. And then when she comes to him and says, it's Christian that I love, and this is, and he knows what she's expecting, he can't deny it for her, even though he knows that it's a lie because he knows how happy it will make her to finally be able to communicate with somebody about love and about emotional intelligence the same way that she wants. Mm. And so... And so that's really what he's doing. He's giving her that person. That's why she gets so mad at Christian for being like, you're a, a delicate flower. I love you. I love you so very much. When we see later on in that scene where Cyrano is, is singing to her as though he is Christian on her balcony where he's giving her that language that she's so used to reading. And finally, she's hearing it out loud because she's probably been thinking, you know, she's, she's spoken to Cyrano. She knows how how eloquent he is, how well-spoken he is. She's never spoken to Christian. So Mm -hmm. she has really no, she wants to believe that it's Christian. She believes it with her whole body, but there has to be some part of her that's like, well, if I've never heard him speak to me this way and I've never actually seen him, how true could it actually be? And so in that moment, Cyrano gives it to her. And then suddenly he, he gets called off, Christian gets called off to war. Cyrano gets called off to war. And 
Christian dies. And I can only imagine this is part of the problem with three-year time jumps and the fact that the second half of the movie only follows Christian and Cyrano. We don't see anything of, of Roxanne during this time. We're just referencing her letters. But part of me wonders, is there any part of her knowing that Christian is gone, but still continuing to interact with Cyrano and knowing the couple of instances where she interacted with Christian right before they got married, where he was not eloquent and he had no idea what was happening. I can only hope that she came to some sort of conclusion that Cyrano had something to do with the way that Christian was communicating with her. And so I have to make that logical jump in order that she had to figure this out off screen <laughs> in order for that last scene where Cyrano dies and suddenly Roxanne is like, I knew it had to be you this whole time. You please don't go, please don't make me lose the love of my life twice. And then he just dies. And so that knowing how, how much of an amazing character they made Roxanne and then presenting that death to her at the end and where she says that line where, oh, I knew it was you, it had to be you. I didn't, the ending for those two reasons did not work very well for me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking now. Now I'm getting like kind of confused. I'm or now I'm like looking back at the script a little bit again because I was like trying to see exactly where, as far as like how she was like you know saying she probably knew. Uh, yes, I love Cyrano. Cyrano, I love. I've always loved Cyrano. Is one of the lines. Uh, yes, I won't lose you twice. Yeah, so she kind of like implies maybe she like didn't know something, but I do like the point you made though about like she's not as vain as you might think on the surface, and that like you know yeah she might have high standards for the kind of communication she wants to have, but like again she has some like rich dude trying to marry her the whole movie, and she just doesn't really even care. So yeah. I don't know have that much to say about the Ben Mendelsohn performance. I I did think it was a lot of fun. Uh, I do think he can kind of like play that kind of goofy villain pretty. Uh, it, it's right up his alley, but he did what was asked of him like very well. And like, you know, the movie- I enjoyed his character. Yeah, he, I enjoyed yeah. the way he played him. He had, a, I really enjoyed the one song that he was given. And I enjoyed how, you know, that song leading up to him walking in on, on Christian and Roxanne being married by the priest who was supposed to marry him to Roxanne, knowing that it's like the 1600s, 1700s, whatever century it is, knowing how in the the note he wrote to her that you know either this was going to happen and they were going to be married or they weren't going to be married but he was going to have her either way i was terrified about what was going to happen when he walked into that room and discovered that mm. she had married christian instead and then it was like the rug was just pulled out from under us because he just turned around and walked out and was like well fuck that's not what i was expecting well because he knew yeah because he knew he could send them off to war and like he didn't have to like yeah. blow up he's like i can just march these dudes to their death Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but no, like, I mean, uh, again, yeah, we, we didn't talk about her much though, up until this point in the pod, but like, I, I like the way you, I, I do like the way you contextualize her as a character there. There's, I could see why someone would, uh, give it a less generous reading, but I, I actually think it kind of, make, it, it kind of makes sense. And I, again, I, 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 I would push back against any, uh, implication that, you know, there would have been anything wrong had she like not wanted uh, Cyrano due to his looks. But the fact is like uh, to the movie's credit, like uh, even if I don't look, I'm not sure how I feel about the movie's uh, revelation uh, or how the movie went about make, having the revelation of Cyrano's uh, actual uh, role in all the plot machinations to her. I do kind of respect the fact that like it, it showed us that like, you know, she, yeah, she could still love him anyway and it could be her own choice. And uh, I think it's clear like she would have her own reasons for doing so i just want to like you know come down on the side of like there wouldn't have been anything wrong if she had like not been into sierra or not been into christian 
you know, and, uh, and good, good on her performance for like making us uh, really believe that like, oh no, she really could have fallen for this guy. So, yeah. And I, well, I think that goes back to the emotional intelligence portion of it because Mm -hmm. that's really what she's after. She falls in love with Christian, like love at first sight with Christian, because probably that's what she's read in books and she just finds him attractive. Mm -hmm. Tierna knows, and we know that if she actually talked to Christian and, and saw how incapable he is at communicating his feelings that she would never have loved him and so at the end it ultimately comes down to she's found the person who matches her emotional intelligence who can communicate that to her and that's what ultimately matters to her she just hadn't opened herself up to Cyrano in that way to learn that earlier in the movie yeah no uh very good point I uh let's talk about the music uh we we haven't we somehow have like talked for 40 minutes already and haven't really touched that much on it aside from like mentioning the national uh and you outed yourself as a musical fan earlier. Uh, I think I, th- there's a few ways to talk about the music. One I will note is that, you know, you talked about uh, there being a poppy affect to it. One thing I also wanted to note was that, like, I, who am I to judge anyone's singing voice? I think I probably have a pretty bad one myself. Uh, but I think it is noticeable. Like, it's noticeable that these people aren't, like, Broadway music stars, even if they are people that have, like, you know, spent, at least in the cases of Haley Bennett and uh, Peter Dinklage, they spent time on the stage, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Ben Mendelsohn is like classically trained British stage actor. Not, not as much for Kelvin Harrison, but like, that's part of why I'm like really happy for him to like, have even gotten the chance to do something like this, but they're not like natural musicians that like would have starred in like a Broadway adaptation of an actual musical per se. And it's something I talked about with, uh, with the friend of the pod, John, when he did the, uh, Dear Evan Hansen podcast. Did you see Dear Evan Hansen? I don't blame you if you didn't the movie. I actually, so I didn't. Um, and it wasn't a good movie. I don't blame you for not. At the time when I was, doing musical theater in high school I think that Dare Evan Hansen had just come out so you had to like go see it on stage in order mm. to really listen to the music or mm. well you had to go see it on stage you couldn't really see it in theaters and the sheet music wasn't available for a long time for people <laughs> to use as like audition songs so I never really listened to it because at the time I was listening to to musicals pre- to find it, songs for auditions it premiered in 2015 you were you were in college at that point weren't you I think there was something I remember. Maybe I'm thinking of next to normal now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. It might be a different thing. My, my point being, I wasn't like, doing musical theater in college. Yeah, so. yeah. My point being, like in Dear Evan Hansen, like there, there's like a moment where Julianne Moore gets to sing, and she's she's a great actress, but that's she's not that kind of singer. And I thought it was an interesting thing to talk about, where it was cool that that movie allowed that person to still sing without dubbing it with like a really fancy singer. And there's like a couple of moments like that in this in this musical where it's like you can tell these people aren't like that level of singer, but it's still interesting that they're still. Like them go for it in that way and it's not bad and it maybe feels a little different from like a traditional musical and that it's like you're not having someone that like has like just like this uh show-stopping like uh voice that can fill an arena or something like that and i thought that was kind of interesting and like again i think all the the, the music itself uh absent the actual quality of the vocals uh is pretty good so when you combine that with like a different maybe almost more realistic sounding vocal because these feel more like real people in the moment I thought that was kind of interesting. What did you, whether it be on that point or just the quality of the music, what it, what was your kind of big takeaway from how it, you know, again, as we noted at the beginning, uh, made this big jump from just being this traditional 120 year old play to actually being a musical. What were your like big takeaways as far as the quality of the actual uh, music of this musical adaptation? There were a couple songs that I loved. I loved I Want More, that the song that Haley Bennett sings right after she first encounters Christian and he doesn't live up to her expectations. I loved the the balcony scene. I actually really loved um, Ben Mendelsohn's song, <laughs> the one song that he got. I thought those were great. The 
problem that I had with the music is that the the sheet music or the the instrumental underlying all of the vocals was very classical. It mm. was it wasn't pop. Um, the rap song at the very beginning kind of leaned more into like something a bit more modern, but the underlying instrumental was very classical. Mm. And when you have a movie or a play or a, or a musical that is set in you know the 1800s, 1700s, that's immediately where your mind goes to. It's like okay, it's it's the music is going to match the setting. And if you're going to take the stance of, no, I want to take a completely different direction with this music, like Hamilton did, like um, I think the, the most recent movie musical that would be a good comparison to would also be like The Greatest Showman, mm. how it was set in these like sort of classical times, but they took a completely different direction with the music. You have to go for it. It has to be a very clear musical choice and then you'll get the audience's buy-in. The difficulty that I had is that it seemed like the underlying music was meant to be classical. And then you did have these, these actors who might not be classically trained, who aren't normally musical theater singers, who then defaulted to what they hear every day, which is like a pop affect to the way that they were singing. And that's really the thing that I took issue with is it took me out of it. And, because, and it felt like they were more focused on singing than mm. acting. They were more focused on the way that they were singing it and trying to make the way that they were singing it sound good than actually acting it out. And the best example I have for that is actually where, uh, wherever I fall. Really? As it turns out, the so the first guy that sings, I think Fred looked it up. He was the, the main guy in Once. I saw that, yeah. Who, and who, so clearly he has an amazing voice. Hmm. Like he, he led that entire movie musical or whatever. Right. Like, I actually never saw it. But then you have this, and, and part of it is the staging, and I'll get into that in a minute. And then you have these three solos where it sounds more like the people who are singing are so focused on singing a solo, on, on singing it well, and not on the words that they're saying. So like the first two solos, I wasn't a huge fan of because it sounded like a country pop song with this really classical music underneath it. The third guy who was singing about his father, who's probably going to hell. He's going to ahead of time, tell him that he's going to be there. He's going to ring the bell. He focused on acting the song as opposed to singing it. And it mm. also kind of helped that he had, I had a British accent anyway. So he was mm. less likely to pronounce things as a country. The once guy is like incredibly Irish. So kind of close. Yeah. But yeah. And so like, I thought that that was really great because he was focusing on acting it as opposed to trying to make it sound well or sound good. And so that's the difficulty that I had with the music and that's what pulled me out of it. I admit that that's probably something very specific and not something that a lot of people would notice. But if you're really into musicals and you're really into movie musicals and your frames of reference are like Hamilton, which took a story of Hamilton and had everybody rapping it the entire time, which worked amazingly, or The Greatest Showman, which pulled in a lot of like pop influence and even some bluegrass influence with some of the songs and really went for it to see it done really well. And then to see this kind of a take on it was a little bit disappointing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I, di I didn't necessarily have that takeaway. I think, so I was a little, like I said, I was a little mixed whenever, wherever I fall came on in that, like, I, I, I don't know. I just thought the movie kind of like came to a bit of a halt at that moment with, with irrespective of the music uh, story-wise. And then I was like, I was actually kind of drawn back in by then because like, I was just so out on it up until that point. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. This sounds different than anything that came before it. I guess I'm going to be kind of perking back up now. And that was kind of my reaction to that part of the movie. But again, like I, I, I totally, as you, you, you definitely know musicals way 
way more than me. And so I, I kind of respect that idea that like, there's a way that these people could have gone about acting that just would have felt a, a little more natural though. I guess my overall point, and again, I, like I said at the beginning, I don't necessarily have a ton of points to make on the, the music itself, but I guess I just kind of thought like, I, I respect, I respected the fact that this was just going for a different, I, it's cool that it has this combination of like this kind of like uh, folk singing within this kind of period piece musical. And like that kind of contrast is something that will uh, ultimately like draw me in a little bit. And that mm -hmm. is what, I, that is what I can say on that. And again, I, I kind of, I, and I appreciate just like seeing these people go for it with their songs, even if they are not singers though, it's kind of funny that like the guy from once, which is like a universally loved musical, uh, his number like was the one that like uh, took you out of it a little bit, which I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't, I had made a comment that I was like, these people don't know how to sing. And then I was like, um, these are the guys who are in the guys who are in it. And I was like, then whatever yeah. direction they were getting, yeah, I was going to say that's a direction thing. on stage yeah. was did, just didn't hit for me. And mm. I think the other problem, and I didn't realize that this was an actual stage musical that was then adapt, adapted into a movie musical is I felt like they didn't, obviously you're very limited when you have a stage musical, you have mm -hmm. one set that has to kind of transform, but you're always in the same spot. So the two examples that I have are like Christian's song, right? When he's talking about how, you know, he was raised to be a soldier. He was raised to fight. He wasn't raised to speak with his words. He was raised for his actions to speak for him. And that's why he has so much difficulty expressing his feelings. And you have this really interesting scene where he's singing about that struggle and you have all of the soldiers around him who are supposed to be you know, communicating with their actions, doing this really interesting flowy arm dance that seems a little bit weird to juxtapose against the the, the song that's going on or just the, the situation that they're in. And it's interesting to watch because of course they're acting out what Christian is talking about. They're also meant to be communicating via their actions. And instead of fighting, they're doing these interesting interpretive dances, <laughs> but it didn't work for me because it's still such a narrow setting. You're mm. in a movie. You could go anywhere with that song. You could do amazing, insane dancing with that song. And instead you chose to have them wave their arms about and kind of walk in circles. And then well, would, that with, be, would that would that have been consistent with the rest of the movie? Was there like a lot of really choreographed dancing as opposed to people kind of like, you know, jumping around wherever they happen or kind of flowing around whatever room they happen to be in when they were singing their song? Oh, and that's the other problem. That's the only like really that's the only song where they really had any sort of choreographed dancing happening mm. anyway. And they just so didn't go for it. Any, yeah. Them. Okay. They, they could have gone for it and they didn't. Mm. And then that's also, and so I have a similar issue with wherever I fall actually, because I can perfectly envision how that scene played out on a stage, which is that you have the ensemble lining up to go fight in the background. You have maybe 20 people doing that. And then you have these three soloists probably standing on the stage. And it makes sense to have the, the post carrier, the post boy who's gathering their letters to stand right next to them as they're giving their solo and then handing them the letter. And then sure. they move from one to the other. That's a logical way for the stage choreo choreography to go. But when you have a movie and suddenly you, you're like, oh yeah, go collect the letters from the final letters right before the battle. And you only collect three people's letters and there's just these random three people who are in a cave who are <laughs> telling this postboy, oh yeah, go tell my dad or my, my wife or my son these very specific things at the same. And it was so totally different. The whole thing felt awkward to me, which is mostly what pulled me out of it, not necessarily mm. the singing. 
And so I felt like when you take something that's a stage musical and then you put it in, in a movie, similar to what we saw with like West Side Story or what we saw with In the Heights, where those mu musicals look very different on the stage than they do in the movie, but they really took the grandiose nature of what you can do in a movie and, and took everything to a whole new level. Cyrano didn't go there. And I was kind of disappointed because they had so much more leeway with what they could show. Well, so I guess my last question on that for you then would be, what is that? What do you, is there a vision of what a better version of that looks like that comes to mind for you? Would they, would it be like a more interesting, like choreographed dance sequence across that battlefield? Like as far as like how far they can go, as far as how expansive they can get in the way you're talking about, is that, is, is something like that what you envision when you think of, here's where, here's what you left on the table. Here's maybe what you could have done because at the, if you're going to keep the story the same where they're just in battle at that point, would you have just like wanted them to make use of that setting, that outdoor setting that they had there? Not necessarily choreography. I don't think the song works for that, oh, but okay. you could have had, instead of it being a very narrow cave with only three people, you could have had the, the post boy walking through the entirety of the barracks mm, and, okay. And collecting letters from multiple people and instead of having the post boy standing next to the soloist who's singing the entire time just waiting there doing nothing the mm. soloist could have been singing as they were writing as we're seeing the full level of devastation of what's going to happen what's about to happen all these people are most likely going to die mm. and instead of seeing the impact on the entirety of the regiment we're just seeing it narrowly focused on these three people and it was less impactful as a result Okay, that's a good point. I mean, like it, it, it could have been. It, it had like I guess technically three people sing wherever I fall, but there, I guess there's also a version of that where they even even if they just stay within the cave and they could like you know find a unique way to choreograph that in a more uh, entertaining, dynamic way with uh, hell even like ten people getting on the song when you pass out the letters like you're talking about as opposed to three. I, I certainly see the potential for something like that. Uh, are there any other parts of the movie we haven't touched on yet, Logan? That you wanted to touch that you wanted to talk about before you uh, wrapped up. Um, the only last thing that I have is I did take a look at, you know, previous iterations of Cyrano. It's definitely had a, a long history of being performed on the stage. And this is actually not the first time that it's been a musical. Apparently there was a 1970s version where Christopher Plummer played Cyrano and actually won a Tony award for mm. his performance. Um, and that was actually a musical. So an interesting fun fact. I know nothing about that version. Um, it's obviously going to have very different music from this version here. But there's definitely a lot of different adaptations. It's interesting that the the story of Cyrano hasn't taken off. I guess the the right adaptation hasn't been made yet. But I do hope that the this trend of you know bringing movie musicals back um, really continues because it's something that I absolutely enjoy. This is actually kind of its own trend that we already talked about earlier, and that like there hasn't necessarily been a, a ton of uh, you know just turning a regular plate into a musical, but they, there's been obviously a lot of different revitalizations um, in the last year. And I mean, you know, uh, who knows how they're judging, how, how the movie industry is judging those financially, given that like, Oh, well, there's so many of those last year, like during the pandemic at different points. Uh, so I don't know, but like, I, I certainly had a lot more fun with this one, like I said, than I expected to. And I'm not a musical guy. So I'm right there with you. If they can find interesting, uh, you know, original ways to, original it's it's a reboot if they can find <laughs> if, if they can find like you know interesting unique ways to do this then uh in, in a way that makes it stand apart from its source material like i'm perfectly happy with that and me not being as sophisticated of a theater goer as you are i probably had even lower standards for this music so i was more easily uh entertained and uh, uh not maybe not as harsh of a critic on the music itself so it might have even worked for me in some ways more than it did uh for you so uh yeah, yeah and I, I, I will say 
I had a lot of critiques at the very end of, of specifically the adaptation of this from musical to stage and, mm. and the creation of the music. But overall, I did really enjoy the movie. Like there, there was no part of it that was like, I'm done. I don't want to continue watching this. I love seeing Haley Bennett and um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. and um, Peter Dinklage interact. I thought that they were great. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing much more from them. And yeah, overall, like I really did enjoy the movie. So if yeah. you, if anyone's listening who hasn't gone to see it, which, you know, you listen to the spoiler section. So there's not that much that you wouldn't know. But I do highly recommend that people go see it. I think it's yeah. definitely worth a watch. Yeah. Well, the thing that's super so weird about that is that, like, even if I get this out relatively quickly to how I've been turning around the podcast, it could just be gone from theaters. I don't know what their deal is. It's like, again, as I said at the beginning, it's so weird to spend $30 million to make this movie in a bubble on Sicily during uh, the pre vaccine times that and not give it a bigger release. But, like, it, you know, it had its slow rollout in like New York and LA and stuff like that. And just, Within the last week, it's gotten to where, like, you know, Logan and I are in places that aren't exactly the same level of movie hotspots as those places. But I, it, it, who knows? It could leave theaters in two weeks. And by the time people are listening to this, and maybe hopefully they put it on demand soon after, because I definitely think it's worth yeah. people checking out. But if for whatever reason you do happen to have still have a chance, maybe it, you know, it's one of those things that, like, you know, slowly uh, builds through word of mouth and gets to hang out in theaters for longer, then I highly recommend seeing it in a theater because, you know, I still think it has enough visual moments and it's fun. To, it's more fun watch, watching musicals on a big screen like that when you can, in a loud, space or whatever so uh definitely do that if you have the chance to to support it so you can encourage i mean it's really cool like joe Wright. i i actually never seen anna karenina and i really it's like been on my watch list and if i had more time before i realized this popped up i would have but like you know atonement and pride and prejudice are both very good uh you know he, he like if you just go through his filmography he's made a bunch of movies for like 30 million dollars and that some of them make a ton of money and some of them don't, but it's like, he always works right in this budget range. And like, you know, everyone's always talking about how they want to support movies that are like this level of budget that are for adults or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, you put your money where your mouth is, go see this. If you have the chance, if you can do so safely. And uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, Gogan and I would both uh, recommend it. Even if we, you know, we both had our uh, pluses and minuses that we uh, discussed <laughs> about it. Uh, Logan, before we get out of here, Anything else you want to recommend that you've been watching recently that you want to direct people to? So Fred and I have recently started Severance on Apple. Yeah, I think he actually might have mentioned that on the podcast last week, but I bet he, uh, I don't know if another episode has come out since then. So what do you like about it? Because I haven't watched it yet. So there's three episodes out right now as of this recording, and we're mm -hmm. two episodes in. So we haven't watched the next uh, episode yet. It's really intriguing and really kind of disturbing as a concept, this idea that, you know, you, your work life is completely severed from your home life, which sounds amazing. Like you leave work at work and you leave home at home and you don't have to worry about it, but the way that it plays out in actuality, this idea that as a result, your work self never leaves work and your home self never goes to work. You're essentially completely severed and you have no idea what they're having you do behind closed doors. And you have mm -hmm. no idea what life you're living outside it's really thought provoking and really kind of freaky. Um, I'm very interested to see where it's going. It's definitely a little bit more on like the thriller side of TV or, or suspense side of TV, I would say. It's definitely not a comedy as much as it sounds like it could be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's directed or, and written or not written, but I think it's directed by Ben Stiller, which is really interesting because he's known for comedy. Um, but he so actually really uh, see that from him. Yeah, he actually directed all of the episodes of the miniseries Escape with Danamora, which came out on Showtime a few years ago. Uh, it had uh, Paul Dano, Benicio del Toro, and Patricia Arquette, and actually got like really good reviews. But uh, so he he has some actual track record for being able to like you know kind of direct thrillers. So uh, interesting to hear that he was behind this. Uh, 
you know, and is it, wait, it's on, yeah, it's on Apple TV plus. So Apple TV. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Apple TV plus is like, there's actually some good shows on there, but because they don't have a ton, like it's actually not that expensive. So if that sounds like yeah. something you might be into, uh, it's definitely worth like the free trial and then the five ninety nine a month or whatever it is. And now that like I know both Fred and Logan like it, uh, I, I might have to like actually uh, venture over there in the next week or two when I'm uh, when I have some time to check out a new show. Uh, I I don't have a lot of like uh, new recommendations for stuff I've like just watched in the last week. I but one thing that I thought about when I was watching this, uh, I thought about two things when I was watching this. One for Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, again, like I said, he's been a guy that's like done a lot of uh, just done a lot of stuff in the last uh, few years, like an independent film. So I was like, but like just like an American independent film. So I was happy for him to get a chance to do something like this. He did a movie in 2019 that I never covered on the podcast called Loose. Uh, L-U-C-E it is an uh, independent f- film by the guy that did uh, by Julius Ona, who's the guy that did uh, the Cloverfield Paradox, which is like a huge disappointment. So yeah. it was like it was like such a it was such a cool thing when he had this movie come out like a year later uh, where Naomi Watts and Tim Roth play uh, the 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 adopted parents of this guy played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. And who like they adopted him from Africa. And he's kind of been raised in this like, you know, very white uh, suburb of D.C. in northern Virginia and uh really kind of goes through some like uh actual like very difficult times when like uh, a black teacher played by uh octavia spencer puts some like high expectations on him and then it kind of follows that the rest of the community sees him a certain way and he like goes through some like uh, personal conflicts with the school and with the community that like you know send him on like a very uh intriguing dark path and uh just like a very thrilling movie uh and just very, very, very well done. And I highly recommend that if you like seeing Kelvin Harrison Jr. in this, but want to see him do other stuff. The other thing we talked about once a little bit, I just got to ask Logan, like uh, you've seen Sing Street before, right? I actually haven't. Okay. I was, while we were here, I, I looked on, on, on Letterboxd. Fred gave it five stars on Letterboxd. It is my second favorite movie of 2016. It is like an incredible movie. And I'm sure most people watching this have heard it. Like more people probably know that than once. Uh, once is like a, same, same director. That's why I thought of it. Uh, when you talked about the mm-hmm. once guy uh, and John Carney, who does like a lot of music stuff. Uh, he'd also did begin again with uh, Kira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo in 2014. But like, I think Sing Street's the best of the three. A lot of people like swear by once. I mean, can't go wrong with any of them. Uh, but like, Sing Street is the one I've never like regretted recommending to anyone. So I don't know if there's people out there that haven't seen it. Like it's just a movie that is like, I, I it's just a delight and it's incredibly well done and incredibly catchy music. So if you haven't seen Sing Street or Once or Begin Again, uh, watch the movies of John Carney. Uh, Logan, before we uh, sign off, uh, anything you want to plug personally, social media, anything like that, where people can see what you want to think about, see what you think about things or anything else like of that nature? Um, I don't really use social media that much anymore, but if you're interested okay. in, in my Instagram posts, it's at signed Logan, S-I-G-N-E-D, and then my first name, Logan. There you go. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast uh, Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, I'm not really sure. We will definitely have some movie for you next week. I just haven't decided the order in which I'm putting everything out in. I might just very well be holding this one until uh, it's closer to being out on VOD because I'm worried it's, by the time <laughs> I even finish editing it, it will be out of theaters. I don't know. So I don't know what, what I will be having coming out next week, but we've had so many movies here to squeeze in at the end of Oscar season. I know we will have something. So thanks again to Logan for joining. Thanks again to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.